Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a really special episode. Um, this one is probably, I'm just way disproportionately excited. Yes, uh, I have never, I mean, I didn't hear, I've heard of David Murray, who is our guest speaker, which we were about to say, or guest, guests, not speaker. He's just a member. He's going to speak and he's a guest. He's a guest. So, so guest yes, like, I, I'm excited <laughs> to have a guest on, but I had actually never read his book. I still haven't, David. I'm apologizing. I know, which I shame you. I shame you constantly for. This is why you're not a full-time employee at Spoken um, Gospel. You, you have to read right. a contract. Right. Everyone that's who right. works at Spoken Gospel has to read this book. And so, um, so, so David Murray uh, wrote a book called Jesus on Every Page. It's published by Thomas Nelson. Um, and uh, I, I read this book. Um, I mean, I think right after it came out, and it really was like a catalytic move for me in my life of changing how I read the Bible um, and kind of led to this whole like, you know, five year binge I did on Christocentric hermeneutics and all this stuff that ended up leading to the creation of spoken gospel. And so um, Which really we this haven't yet. That- David talks about that a couple episodes back with Taylor Walling. I had yep. I don't think I had even heard that story until you really? talked about it with Taylor. So it was That's great. <laughs> yeah. And so um, anyway, I'm just really excited uh, to do more of like a, a, a practical uh, meta talk about how to read our Bibles, how to see Jesus on every page with David today, um, and maybe answer some questions that we get from a lot of our listeners um, about like, how do I do this for myself? And, you know, what? why do you guys do the, do the things the way you do them? So anyway, enough introduction. Uh, on the line with us is David Murray. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, David and Seth, and thank you for these encouraging words. It's um, wonderful to hear how God can use a book and a way in a, in a pastor's life, in a preacher's life, a Christian's life, and it have many consequences and fruits that flow out of that. That's just wonderfully encouraging. Thank you. No, I'm so glad. Yeah, I've and this so off t- the air already. Oh, but I'm so thankful to have a Scottish accent on. So, like, I grew up in Scotland. Where Where are you from? Yeah, in- so I was born and brought up in Glasgow. Okay. Um, but Should I used have been to obvious by the accent. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite as posh as the Edinburgh accent. <laughs> um, pastored in the Scottish Highlands for 12 years before I came over to the US. Yeah, and where and, where, and what are you doing now, David? Yeah, I'm a teacher of uh, Old Testament practical theology in Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. And part of that is teaching Old Testament exegesis, preaching Christ from the Old Testament, the subject of our talk today. That's wonderful. Well, we just thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, and so uh, I, I just I, I kind of wanted to hear the the story, um, kind of your story of how did you grow up understanding, you know, how to read the Bible and what the Bible was, and then what what was it that shifted you into seeing Jesus on every page, and then led you to write this book? I'm I'm so curious to know that journey. Yeah, it was quite a journey actually, because although I was brought up in a Presbyterian Reformed church and um, should have had a, a very Christ-centered hermeneutic, yet. I never heard that growing up. Um, Old Testament sermons were quite rare, but the ones I heard were very, you just say, historical. 
um, you know, descriptive of the history, the culture, the background, the characters, maybe a little bit of moralistic application, but not even a lot of that. You haven't it was been just... to a Christian youth group if you haven't heard the story of <laughs> Joseph. That was the reason we lost. I, mean. I know, I know. Well, I didn't even have that. So, you know, the Old Testament was, I had knowledge of it, but it was a dry and a dusty knowledge. And when I was converted in my early 20s, there was, I remember my mother gave me a Bible study on Judges, Joshua, sorry, and I just I just couldn't make head nor tail of it. It was not a good place to start. So I kind of dispensed with that, went to the Gospels, and, you know, it was like light. And I just thought, oh, well, you know, the Old Testament's not going to figure much in my life going forward. So right. it's, it's a pretty negative background that I came from concerning the Old Testament. And even when I went to, eventually was felt called to ministry, went to study, um, the, the the teaching I had at seminary was along very similar lines, you know, a lot of grammatical, historical work with the text, um, but actually how to prepare a sermon from the Old Testament, not a lot of, how to prepare a Christ-centered sermon from the Old Testament, none of. Mm -hmm. And, yep. you know, I wanted to preach Jesus. I, I I knew what a difference he'd made in my own life. And therefore, not maybe consciously, but subconsciously, it was, well, you know, I won't be doing much Old Testament preaching. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the way most people feel, even if they're not preachers, they just look at the Old Testament, just like, these are just odd stories mm. that either need, like, either that I can't, they're, they're too confusing mm. to really engage with, or on the other hand, problems that I need to solve mm. in my mm. Christian faith. <laughs> like, and so we yeah. just, yeah. it's really easy to skip over them, uh, except maybe, you know, the favorite ones we tell our kids. Like, that's mm. kind of really the only time, like, we really dip back into them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had um, a bit of an encounter with, what would you call it? Maybe over spiritualized Old Testament preaching as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the kind of like Jesus under every rock. Um, that that was a I I, knew, I didn't know really what was wrong with that, but it, it didn't persuade me. In fact, Can you give it me an probably, example of that. I'm not sure if I. Yeah, well, I mean, something there. like you know the 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 ark Noah's ark was wooden, therefore this is a you know a prophecy of the cross. You know, just, <laughs> right, just okay. because it was, or you know, here's a number seven. Seven's a number of perfection, therefore it was about the perfect Son of God, and like okay. I, I I think the motive was right but the method was not and again it just gave me it made me afraid of going into the old testament i didn't i, I didn't think that was a credible way to interpret scripture at all mm -hmm. numerology is hyper spiritualizing allegorizing i actually i think i probably when i did go into the old testament that's probably more along the lines that i went because i wanted to get to jesus Mm -hmm. But I was never convinced, and therefore I didn't do it an awful lot. Yeah, yeah, and so and so you're you're in this space, and you're you're like I want to get to. It's it's just interesting that like I think for me I wanted to learn to love my Old Testament, mm -hmm. and I was having trouble loving my old. I think mine came from more of a textual bent, mm -hmm. you know, and more of like a biblical studies bent than it did from like a. Um, you're like, I want to preach Jesus. Yours was from like this, like, I want to proclaim Jesus and this Old Testament is here. Yeah. Uh, and so that drew you, I'm guessing, into how do I interact with this Old Testament? Yes, and maybe one preacher in particular, it's actually my late father-in-law, Angus Smith, mm -hmm. who I would hear from time to time when I visited the Isle of Lewis where he pastored. 
he would preach Christ from the Old Testament frequently, and I was very persuaded. Like that, that I felt whatever he's doing is the right way to do it. Yeah. Um, and I knew there was something there, uh, grasp, grappling with what he was doing, trying to understand what he was doing. And so I knew it could be done. And I was actually asked to do a series on the covenants uh, at a conference in the early 2000s. And thankfully sent my addresses, my proposed addresses to somebody who knew far more about these things than I did uh, before I went and did this. And he said, David, you've got this all wrong. Like, <laughs> you, you're just completely, you're totally outside of reformed that's funny with theology here so he David really that person to me as well he's like Seth, this, is just, this is just bad <laughs> oh, thank you Seth. i'm glad i can be that for you <laughs> he put me on to o palmer robertson the christ of the covenants mm -hmm. and that was like a light bulb moment because there yeah. uh, like with my father-in-law i was saying okay that's where i want to get to with christ and the covenants christ of the covenants it was like here's how here's a, mm -hmm. here's a beginning and that 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 was a a step along the way, a big yeah, step. Definitely, definitely. And so, what did the rest of that journey look like for you in terms? Maybe not necessarily like what you studied, and and then you know your, but like what did your relationship with your Bible look like from that point moving forward? And maybe both devotionally, personally, but also publicly and expositorily. I'd just be curious. Yeah, that started me like you talked about a catalytic book. That was a catalytic book for me. It got me into books by Ed Clowney, R mm -hmm. Richard Pratt, His Spirit of the Reformation Study Bible, and um, Goldsworthy, Gridanus, big, yeah. big moment for me when I discovered Sidney Gridanus because he has mm -hmm. he had like the method step by step. Um, and so that really helped me forward. And then, yeah, you're right. It, it became more personal. I'm reading my Old Testament now in my personal devotions, and I'm beginning to capture the the Christ-centered focus of it, seeing him where I never saw him before and understanding why I saw him there. And yeah. and then, you know, it's another step to begin to think of how do you actually use this in ministry in a in a convincing way. So, that, that I mean, that all probably took three or four years. It wasn't an overnight thing. Mm -hmm. um, what I was, was, your, I was uh, into like, your personal experience like as you when you opened up your Old Testament and started like looking trying to use these methods to see jesus did your like your personal experience with like in communion with the lord change did you experience your bible differently after that or was it still intellectual it's on some level no it, w it was very personal and the thing that made it most personal to me was uh, when i started uh, reading through genesis and i came to the angel of the lord passages Mm. Um, especially, you know, that first one with Hagar, and then later yeah. on with Jacob, a couple of times, then Moses. That, like, G that I do believe the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, yeah. and uh, Jonathan Stevens' book on that really helped me there. And it was like, it, it was like a little appetizer. It was like Jesus, you know, getting a a foretaste of his work. And he was, it wasn't just a, like a prophecy. It wasn't a picture. It was him, himself. Yes. yes. 
Yeah, Dave, that's something that's so huge. So a lot of times when I talk to people about the mission of spoken gospel, that we're trying to help people see Jesus, you know, in every corner of scripture, um, a lot of times they jump immediately to Old Testament prophecy. And and I'm and I and I'm like, well, I'm not discounting that. I'm not saying like it's not that, mm-hmm. but um, there is something different, really, that we're talking about. Uh, and and you nailed it, where you're like, I'm like seeing Jesus, like mm-hmm. you know, like I, I often think about Second Corinthians three and like the glory mm-hmm. of it shining in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, like that's what happens when Moses is read and the veil is taken off of our hearts. You know, that's what we see. So I don't know if you could speak into a little bit of like what do what do you mean? When you say seeing Jesus, how is it more than just an intellectual connection we're making from Old to New Testament? What are we actually encountering there in the pages of our Bible when we see Jesus on every page? I think that's where these personal appearances of Christ are so helpful because there's no intermediate step. There's no word prophecy. There's no psalm prophecy. There's no typology. It's just him in a pre-incarnate form and and so it's like discovering another like a bonus gospel i've often called it it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like this truly is the the undiscovered gospel uh, mm-hmm. that is there waiting for us to discover and i think when you see that you know it's no longer just moses speaking it's no longer uh, you know any prophet speaking you see the word capital w of god coming to you through the scriptures um and and it's just it's like the words are no longer just hanging there in midair they're actually clothing a person and it's it's like he incarnates in front of you really as you as you read of of God and his redemptive acts in the old testament that's helpful yeah cuz sometimes i think whenever we're we're running through our podcast it can sometimes feel as like when we're we're in the middle of the weeds of deuteronomy right now mm-hmm. and we're like rereading the law for the second time and like that Moses issuing of commands. Like, I think we're doing the right work to see Jesus in those passages. Uh, but I kind of forget the fact that I love that line. Like it's an undiscovered gospel. Like mm-hmm. there is in the words of Moses, the words of Jesus Christ as well. Like there's this really tangible, not just in the figure of the angel of the Lord, but mm. in the mouth of the character of yep. the old Testament, like yep. yeah. the words, the of words, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, that's really, it helps me make it more concrete for me. Uh, cause sometimes it feels like we're digging for hidden treasure. Uh, and that's not like a bad metaphor. Yeah. Right? I think, I think Matthew 13 would say that's pretty true though. That's what uh, we're doing. But kind of like it can feel like an intellectual exercise <laughs> yeah, sure. more than like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Com- like communing with the Lord. And like, mm. I was even convicted of that recently. And maybe I'd love to hear you speak to this, David. It's like, yeah. so- sometimes I can look intellectually to find the Jesus turn in the passage so that I can do it right. And I miss seeing the face of Jesus Christ. Mm. And like, I'd never want to be more intellectually interested in Mm. finding the Jesus behind the Moses. Mm. I want to see Jesus's face. And so I don't know if that you've had that struggle between like the intellectual capacity to see Jesus in the context or whatever, and actually seeing his face and worshiping him there. Like, I'd love for you to talk to me about that personally, but I'm also <laughs> sure like a lot of our leaders or our listeners experience that as well. Yeah, I think obviously we have to pray, um, you know, that God would open our eyes, God would open our hearts. 
God would give us that sight. And and we also need faith. You know, we can do just intellectual exercises, but faith has got to be mixed with these words. And one of the ways that I found helpful into this is to try and view these original hearers of God's word, the Israelites, for example, in Deuteronomy, as people just much like myself, sinners who needed salvation and who needed a revelation from God of the Savior. And they are reading, they were reading Moses or hearing Moses in the same way that I do. You know, I open my Old Testament and I say, I need grace today. I need God. I need his salvation. Um, help me to find it here. And, you know, I think of all the unnamed believers amongst the Israelites, as well as the named believers that we know of. And, you know, for for many of the Israelites, it was just listening to religious words. But for some, with the Holy Spirit, with regenerate hearts, they were as desperate as we are. And so they were listening to these same chapters that we read. Um, that's all they had. They didn't have New Testament. Yeah. They didn't have the rest of Revelation. This was the very word of life to them. And they're, they're, they're heeding it with two questions. Um, what does this tell me about God? And what does this tell me about how to be saved? And I think when you do that and you, you kind of put yourself in that original context, that original audience, and you begin to read it as a desperate sinner, not just as a, as a, as a student of the scriptures, then I think it begins to unfold in a much more personal, experiential way that, that draws you to Christ himself. Mm, that's so good that's yeah helpful i think because sometimes i want like even though i know it's better it's like some the old testament has a deficient gospel mm. waiting mm. to be uh extended in christ mm. Mm. and really that's that's not what's happening what's happening there it is good yep. news yep. for israelites who are perishing yep. and about to enter into promised land or yep. in this period of the judges yeah. or whatever like it yep. was good news for daniel Yep. And I don't need to somehow like extend it to so it's only good news if Jesus comes. It's actually good mm. news to them right now. Absolutely. If I was there, it would have been good news to me too. Yep, yep. No, yeah. the gospel, I mean, that's what um, Paul himself says, referring back to Deuteronomy, that, that this was the gospel. That's what Paul says in Galatians. Uh, God preached the gospel to Abraham when he told mm -hmm. him, leave the land. Now, it doesn't sound like the gospel to us because it, it's not you know, exactly the same terminology we use in the New Testament here. But it says that's the gospel in Old Testament language, using Old Testament concepts. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I, man, I'd love to hear a little bit more, too, about like... Um, I know that when I run into people um, and we, especially ministry leaders, you know, who have really formed opinions about the Bible and how they preach it, especially, I think whenever we, we talk about a Christocentric approach, I think they think that we're trying to call what they're doing in the pulpit deficient mm. or, you know, they feel attacked. Okay. And so they, 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 they would want to attack us and, and say like, well, that's, that's just your way of seeing the Bible and that's good for you. But you know, that's, it's not necessary for me to do that. Um, and, and, you know, we try to lovingly come alongside them and, and show them, like, I think this is how Jesus is trying to train us to read the Bible, you know, on his own lips. And I think it's, it, you know, it's how Paul read his, his Old Testament. And uh, anyway, I'd just be curious to know, like, um, kind of how you 
explain um, a, like a, a biblical apologetic yep. for Christocentric um, reading of scripture. Yeah, and this might sound odd, but I go to the New Testament. Um, wait, wait. Yeah, what? I know, <laughs> I know. Um, but I mean, that's what Goldsworthy does as well um, yep. and argues very strongly. You know, wh- where are we going to get our hermeneutic f- from, our exegetical principles? Uh, we don't want to make them up. And often when we're trying to persuade people, it's people who are very convinced of the New Testament, not so convinced of the utility of the old. So I think right. it, you know, it's, it's meeting them on common ground and saying, okay, well, let's just start with the New Testament then. Let's not, you know, go straight to the old. And and so you go to Jesus's uh, handling of the Old Testament. You know, they testify of me, he said. You mm-hmm. go to him on the Emmaus Road, yes. where he preached Christ from all the scriptures. You go to the Apostle Paul's use of the Old Testament. You go to Peter especially, you know, spoke of how the prophets inspired by the Holy Spirit spoke of the sufferings and glory of Christ that would follow. And and so you're, you're sort of meeting people on their own ground. You're understanding where they're coming from. And you're saying, okay, yep, I, I get the difficulty of this. But I think there are some verses here that, you know, you would find really helpful to view use as a lens to view the Old Testament with, because that's really, as you said, David, you know, that's what Jesus did. That's what yeah. Paul did. That's what Peter did. That's what John did. We're not imposing anything here. We are following the example of our best homiletics teachers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I think it's great. Um, yeah. I, I think it's such a helpful way to just say like, I, I love that question, the way that Graham Goldsworthy poses it, where he's, you know, who do we want us to teach us our hermeneutic? I just think that's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Seth, what are you thinking right now? I'm thinking, like, um, why is it? I feel like what we are doing is not particularly innovative. I mean, it's been done mm-hmm. for thousands mm-hmm. of years, and at the point where I think it'd probably be bad if it was innovative. <laughs> like, I mean, what we're saying is like Jesus did it, but I also find like among my peers, um, I work, with, I still work with students and with families. Like, it's um like it's not super common to see for to see families reading their old testament this way with an mm-hmm. eye to seeing jesus as the center of it and i think that's probably true, true bro- more broadly in christianity so mm-hmm. why is it that either we've lost that or mm-hmm. maybe we've just never done a good had a good done a good job of like cultivating that discipline um yeah, I think part of it is not, I mean, if you ask most Christians, do you believe the Old Testament? Of course I do. You know, of course I do. It's not a deliberate denial or rejection. It's just fallen into disuse. And so people have been raised, you know, the, the stats are basically over 90% of all sermons today are from the New Testament. So, you know, without actually saying um, that, that sends a message it, you know, just it just affects people's view of the Old Testament just by default. Um, I think people have had seen bad examples of Old Testament preaching that is not convincing mm-hmm. and not persuasive. It, I think it does take more work. You know, if, if I'm a pastor and I've got limited time, I'm going to preach from John, not Zephaniah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it does, especially if you're not used to it and you haven't got a good methodology. It's it's really hard, hard work. Yeah. And and we haven't had many good examples. I, I do think that's changing, you know, not only it through is. your own work, but I think like the Gospel Coalition's done good work yeah. on that. And um, so Bible I, projects and a great Bible project, well. yeah, and you know some really good books coming out from PNR and Crossway, 
Um, mm. So I, I think it is changing, and, and I think I'm hopeful it will change more. And I think one of the ways we can do that is actually to show that far from this being innovative, the innovation is not seeing Christ in the Old Testament. And I think we can do that by pointing back to some of our great heroes and heroines of the faith and the way that they have taught the scriptures in the past. And really, um, it's actually mainly a Western problem and maybe more specifically an American problem, actually. Uh, because if you go around the Christian world, this is not a big deal. It's just a very normal part of their faith that Jesus is in all of scripture. And I think what really happened, maybe we can trace it to the the dispensationalism of you know the 1800s. That has had such a big impact in evangelicalism. And dispensationalism. And, why don't you give us like a, a one sentence description of that? Yeah, for my I, own sake, but also for I, our listeners. Yeah, I mean, just to put it very simply, just seeing mainly two main eras of biblical revelation. Old Covenant and New Covenant. I know it's split up into more divisions than that, but that's the basic division. And that in the Old Covenant, there was some kind of way of salvation that was a bit of a mixture of faith, good works, and sacrifice. Um, whereas in the New Covenant, it's all faith by grace in Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very broad. And I know dispensationalists, maybe wouldn't, some wouldn't like to be represented like that. But I think that's your basic Schofield dispensationalism. Yeah. And I think if you would poll most people, they would say, yeah, there's an old part of the Bible and a new part of the Bible. Yeah. And the old part, you related to God differently than the new part. Yeah. Yeah. And you, what yeah. you're saying yeah. is that way of seeing Scripture is actually fairly American because yeah. dispensationalism was a fairly American phenomenon yeah. that hasn't really been replicated Bible and everything replicated yeah. around the world. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. No. I, I, so I think for these reasons, we've um, we've ended up in this situation, and um, there's a lot of recovery work to be done. But what I've noticed is, you know, when Old Testament teaching preaching is done well, even in contexts where that's not common it really resonates with people's hearts. It yes. really connects. It's like, aha, you see light bulbs going off and it's like, yes, like I, mm -hmm. my Bible's just expanded by yes. four, four yeah. times. And, yes. you know, I'm excited and this is just, this makes perfect sense. And so, you know, for those who are listening, wondering, is this worth the effort? You know, mm. yes, it is. It's not only worth it because it honors scripture and God, but mm -hmm. the impact of it, you, you will not only have better sermons and lectures and teach Bible studies, but people reading their Bibles, their morning devotions, it will just be transformed. And, yeah. you know, they'll they'll have their hearts warmed within them. And yes. I think that's the key to motivating uh, people into the text of, of, of the Old Testament, that, that yeah. it's having this heartwarming, heart-purifying effect. It's mm. really that, yeah. That's that's so good. I just I love that what that you what you said. I mean, uh, so many things. One thing I just want to like highlight is that he said that not seeing Jesus in the Old Testament was the innovation. Mm -hmm. Like that, I think that's just a really clear way to say it. Like like what we're trying to do is not innovate a new or better 
biblical interpretation method. We're trying to reverse a bad innovation. Yeah. And yeah. to rejoin the American church to what the global church is known. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Let's, do a, let's do national <laughs> repentance here. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, and uh, yeah. And I think, I mean, I think you hit on something really good too, about like how your Bible, you know, is like multiplies by four, you know, you, you, uh, you know, I, I like, you called the bonus gospel. I, when I preach on this, I always, I always call it our first and longest gospel, um, is my favorite way to put it. And, uh, and I, and I love that, like you said, it, it comes alive in really new ways. And I think what's so beautiful about it is we, we need as many ways as possible to behold and enjoy Jesus. Like, cause he's just too big and too beautiful. And I, I remember preaching at Bridgeway um, at our church, like a few months ago, preaching on um, Exodus 32 through 34, which I think we uploaded it to the podcast. We and we yeah, said, yeah. We yeah. And, and so, and like, and, and talking about like how, you know, the glory uh, that, that, that Moses saw on the mountain Paul says that is Jesus. Uh, and uh, like, I had people coming to me saying like, I didn't know Jesus was that beautiful. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. Like, like, oh, yeah. Like, that, that is amazing. I know. So, I mean, I've been doing almost ministry for 10 years. Not a crazy long time, but a while. And like, I've used the language of like heart idols, of mm -hmm. like trusting in Jesus, not trusting in other things, you know, mm -hmm. for a long time. And all those are kind of like New Testament concepts. And like just recently, I preached through the book of Isaiah in one sermon. Which was, kind of, which, which was a little ambitious. Which is never a good idea. Which was a little ambitious. But I, instead of using like the language of idols or faith, I just used the language of treaties okay. because Israel's always making treaties with okay. Syria and Syria. Okay. And when God says, have faith in me alone, and every yeah. time they try to make a treaty with somebody else, they get overtaken. Oh. So the application was really simple. Like, hey, imagine yourself as a capital city surrounded on all sides, yep. and you're tempted to make a treaty with another oh, power to yeah. save you. Good, all of it. And all of a sudden, like I, I had more positive feedback from that really simple <laughs> sermon that I've ever had preaching the gospel or a, a book of, of Colossians or one of the epistles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and I had like teenagers drawing their own maps of the thing aye, they were trying aye. to protect and okay. the treaty, the treaties with the nation of Netflix and the treaty with the nation <laughs> of like body image and whatever else to make them feel better about their capital city. I was like, I did not ask you to wow. do that, and that was just be ba anyway. It's a really yeah. vivid way. It, it, like I, it was proved to me again very recently. But isn't that like one of the greatest advantages of the Old Testament? It's the vividness of it. It's the graphic mm -hmm. nature of it. It's the the story character of it. It's the the symbolic and the metaphors that are just. I mean, that's how God's wired us to yes. to be tuned into that. Um, you know, we aren't. Most people are actually not wired. Um, to Romans, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. that, that's mm -hmm. not to denigrate Romans, you know, <laughs> right. right? But we're wired. Apart from reformed preachers, <laughs> we're wired <laughs> for stories. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah. By all means, we do series on Romans as well. But we're 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 missing a, a yeah. God-given resource. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to listen to Romans unless they first have like. Some yeah. vivid pictures. Like nobody wants to read a commentary on Lord of the Rings until they've seen yeah, yeah. or read it for themselves. Like right. there's, yeah, there's a sense right. like there is this broader, more vivid, more imaginative picture that the epistles are all commenting on, but most of the times we focus on the commentary yeah. and yeah. miss the broader 
more wow. beautiful story that's actually been told. And yeah, that might cool. be why we have like a problem engaging with our New Testament sometimes. Yeah, because... exactly. No, I think it's, I think that's one of the things I find from people like they say it's not just I understand my Old Testament better, I understand my New Testament better, yeah. now. and it's just that two-way interaction that's that's going on. And and one of the actually one of the biggest things is the apologetic effect of Christ-centered focus on the Old Testament. Yes. Uh, you know, one of the big problems today in terms of evangelism is the Old Testament, you know, because it's mm -hmm. so, for many people, indefensible and it's it's um, it's useless or whatever. But when you actually see Christ in it and you see him throughout it, it's not just, oh, you know, this helps my Old Testament. It helps my new too. In fact, it helps our whole apologetic. We mm -hmm. now have a complete Bible with a unified message, a unified focus, a unified salvation, uh, everything interleaves and interlinks. And, and Christians have their faith strengthened to witness as well, instead of be apo apologetic in the worst sense. Yeah. 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 It makes, yeah. it makes the Bible for the world, not just for, you know, particular demographic yeah mm, yeah well david as we wrap up here uh, i want i just i i want to see if we can if we can have enough time to kind of answer this question at least just scratching the surface um just because your your book jesus on every page was like very practical you know i think it even I, I can't remember the number was it like 10 simple yeah. steps or 10 simple ways you know to see jesus um in all of scripture uh and so you kind of build this toolkit uh you know and so i would encourage everybody to go pick that toolkit up and you know and learn to use those tools but um just i guess off the top of your head or you know what, what comes to top of mind we're like these are my favorite tools to pull out when i think about how to see jesus in all of scripture if we just kind of can leave our listeners with uh, some practical how to's next steps for doing this yourself devotionally mm -hmm. what would you point them to you know i would point them first of all to these two questions uh, read your old testament with these two questions in mind what does this reveal about god and what does this reveal about salvation? These are the two questions that the whole Bible answers. These are the questions we read the New Testament with. These are the questions the Old Testament readers read their Old Testament with, and we should too. And then, you know, you immediately go from stories and prophecies to learning about God and learning about the way of salvation and, and ultimately the Savior. So, you know, you read the Joseph story, you read Ruth, you read the Davidic narratives, you read the Psalms, you read the prophets, all these Old Testament books with these two simple questions, and you'll be stunned at how much you begin to learn about God and his way of salvation. Um, and I think as well, another way of doing this, and I mentioned it earlier, is really try and put yourself in the place of that original reader. So, for example, if you're reading, you know, Leviticus, um, you know, it just seems a lot of laws about sacrifices and festivals, right? Well, just try and imagine what that was like to live out. So take the law and make it into life. What was it like to actually pick a lamb out of your flock, bring it to the temp, the tabernacle, go through that ritual of sacrifice, um, smell it, see it, touch it, taste it? And, and the, you know, oh, sure, a lot of them did it thoughtlessly, but the believers amongst them did not. And right. they're doing this all the time, trying to learn about God. They go to the tabernacle, what does this teach me about God? And I think if we can try and live it out, and put ourselves in that original context, you begin to see what they learned 
then wow. it's a it's it's an easy step to what we can learn yeah um i just I, i've got to ask this now just because you you've you've brought something up that like kind of a I don't know, dichotomy is the wrong word, but a division between things that I think I tried to pit against each other. So like, uh, I was just in, a, I'm just, I was just in a meeting here at American Bible society with a coalition of like Bible engagement agencies trying to figure out how can we get millennials and Gen Z's wow. next year to engage with scripture. Mm. And I was like rallying against, like I, I got up on my soapbox and everything. And I was like, you brought it with you, you know, I brought my, I, you know me, Seth, I always have my soapbox with me. And, uh, and I was like, you know, we got, I, we want to, I want to switch the question that people are asking about the Bible. Like what, how does this apply to me? You know, what, what does this say to me? That's kind of the common question people have when they come to a Bible passage. I was like, we want them to say, um, how, how is this about Jesus first and then ask the application question. So, uh, but, but you've done something here and you, you said like, put yourself in the position of the original reader instead of put yourself in the story. Yes. Like, yeah. Can you separate those two a little bit? Because I think that's so crucial. Um, well, I think, you know, it is hard for us because we are a very individualistic society. And, you know, I just saw Elton John's new biography. It's, it's called Me. And I thought, well, that yeah. just sums it all <laughs> up, doesn't it? Um, yeah. it's, it's all about me. And so it's very hard. We come to the scriptures and we're really being asked not to dispense with me, but not to start with me. And, and to start with God, this is mm -hmm. this is primarily a book about God and his way of salvation, not just God theism, but his way of salvation from Genesis mm -hmm. 3.15. That's what this is all about, revealing yes. the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. Yeah. And so it is a tough mind shift. But again, I think if we can give people a taste of that, and maybe especially for preachers, you know, to, to do that in their sermons, not jump immediately from Old Testament to you, but mm -hmm. say, look, come with me, be a wee bit imaginative, be a bit creative, imagine you're sitting there, this is your scroll reading for the day in, in your, you know, synagogue class or whatever, um, your your tabernacle tent, yeah. and, you know, so you're a, you're a sinner, you need grace, you need to know God. Um, so just focus on these things first of all. What does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about the way of salvation? And what it taught that first reader, it then becomes a message for you. But you won't get it unless yeah. you start with that first reader. Because actually the book was not primarily written for you and me. It right. was written to an original audience in an original context with original problems, but in such a way that if we can figure that out, then mm. we've got contemporary, current, relevant application to ourselves. Yeah. What I love about that question too is that it also allows you to like salvation to different people at different point in time has meant different things. Mm. To Adam and Eve, it meant returning to the garden to uh to Abel or to Cain it looked like escaping the judgment for murder right. to e to Israel and Egypt it looked like salvation from slavery yeah. to Daniel mm. it looks like the end of exile and uh, the end of his oppressors mm. and so when you mm. allow yourself to like inhabit the salvation that the people most long for it actually builds out what mm. the gospel means oh yeah yeah because sometimes I think I get stuck in a rut of like I, want, I need to jump to Jesus's substitutionary death for my sin on the cross by obtaining his righteousness too fast. And sometimes the salvation that I need is like, yeah. no, one day Jesus will come 
and his government and the government will rest on his shoulders. Yeah, yeah. the powers mm-hmm. will be defeated. I need that today because yeah, it's so good. I love that, Seth. Uh, you know, and we're going through Isaiah just now in seminary with my students, and we just did that passage: the government shall be oh. upon his shoulders, <laughs> his name shall be called. Um, What's it? The net Bible counselor. The net Bible puts it as extraordinary strategist. Whoa! Yeah, I know. <laughs> which, which really fits the military context as well. Yeah. More than a kind of clinical counselling room, right? But um, yeah, yeah. So what Isaiah's doing there is just what Seth was saying. He's going back to the vocabulary and the concepts that they were all familiar with, and he's. The same salvation that we enjoy, he's communicating that in the terms and pictures, vocabulary that that they knew and and were familiar with. And it's so rich. So rich. Um, Okay, well, last question. And this can be, you can give me a quick answer because we need to wrap up. But uh, this, and I'm just going to end on a nerdy question just because I want to. So uh, what, what, as, as biblical students, uh, and we're talking about putting ourselves in the position of the audience and asking these questions: Who is God? Can you pause and, for you right here. What is he doing? Going, like all of yep. us, this should be a question for all of us because all of yeah. us should be Bible nerds because <laughs> because we're one of the few few religions, the only religion in the world that demands a level of expertise in yeah. a sacred text. Yeah. And wow. so, like for like, for, if you're a Christian, don't hear nerd question. It's now time for me to check out. Like it's actually like this is an invitation yeah. to the <laughs> uniqueness of our religion against all yeah. others. That's good. So thank you, Seth. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, it makes me feel better. Uh, and so I'm just curious about the, the this distinction between um, audience receptivity as meaning and authorial intent as meaning. If you can kind of massage that a little bit for me. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I don't see a difference. Um, okay. it, it's more, um, it, I, I like the, the illustration of train tracks. So, you know, when you look at, when you want to figure out the meaning to an Old Testament text, you, you get on the train track uh, where it began. Okay, I know there were no trains there. We're talking metaphorically, but um, <laughs> so, but you don't stop there. Um, mm. So the the author had an original intention, but God had an even greater intention. But that greater intention is not okay. Well, that original author meant that, but we're now going to switch tracks and go down something completely different. Mm-hmm. It's more mm-hmm. okay. The train started running here, like the seed of the woman shall crush the serpent's mm. head. Um, but it's going along the same track all the way into uh, through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, through the cross, into the epistles, and ultimately in Revelation, where we understand in the fullest sense possible how that serpent's head was crushed. Yeah. We're not saying, you know, when Adam heard that, that he knew everything in Revelation. And we're not saying when Moses <laughs> right. wrote it, that he yep. knew, but they knew enough yes. to be saved. And mm-hmm. we have the benefit of that divine author's intent being fully revealed to us so that mm. we are we can enjoy more views out of the window of the train than than adam or moses ever did but it's the same track yes oh i love that answer thank you david uh that's uh that's a really helpful way to think about it and a great way to end is 
let's get on the train and take it all the way through the Bible. I love that. That's, that's beautiful, man, David. I seriously, I seriously cannot thank you enough uh, for being on with us and just kind of, uh, it's just like kind of co-spirited here, you know, someone who's passionate about things we're passionate about. And, uh, you know, is there anything else besides uh, your book, Jesus on on every page we can be pointing people to, or that you're excited about right now that you've been involved in? Um, yeah, I've got a weird, um, really a weird job at, at the seminary. I teach Old Testament and I teach counselling. I know it's kind oh. of like bizarre. I don't think there's anyone else in the world who does that. <laughs> so sometimes I'm working in the Old Testament. Sometimes I'm working on like depression and anxiety and wow. marriage. But it's actually a good combination because you want counselling to be rooted in the scriptures. And you mm-hmm. want the scriptures to lead into practical usefulness. So it's not as crazy as it sounds. And, yeah. <laughs> but the last while, it's been more along the counseling path I've been mm. working. And then next year, Cross, we are publishing a couple of books of mine on teen anxiety. Um, wow. One is for teens, one is for parents. And just trying to you know take a, a, a biblical, holistic approach to that problem and um, yeah. hopefully help a lot of people. Wow. Yeah, that's really exciting. So yeah, we'll be looking out for that for sure. Crossway. Do you have a, do you have a title that's, that's yeah, able to be shared yet? The one for teens is, um, why am I feeling like this? And, mm. uh, the, there's a subtitle about hope and help for depressed teens or something like that. Um, and then the one for parents is why is my teen feeling like this? So it's just two books that are companions, same chapter titles, but different content, just because it's very hard for teens to recover from these things without the help of yeah. parents and mentors. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's awesome. Uh, we're, we're so excited that you're doing that. And uh, man, we just, uh, we, we appreciate you and what you're doing in the kingdom and what you're doing for, uh, you know, your seminary students and, uh, and just, uh, just, Really appreciate you, David. Thanks so much, David and Seth, and really appreciate all you're trying to do as well. We're definitely kindred spirits, and keep speaking the gospel. We will. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Spoken Gospel.